After a long wait, Notre Dame finally knows where it's headed for the ball game, and it seems like we're finally getting some good news about the program after a long few days filled with negativity. That's next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? Welcome to Lockdown Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 5th, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. I'm Tyler Wojcik, and I'm the host. I'm a Notre Dame alum, producer, coming college football for Fox Sports. And this episode of Lockdown Irish is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Lockdown College for $20 off your first purchase. We got a jam packed episode for you today. There is so much stuff that we need to talk about, including. Notre Dame's bowl destination, Chancey Stuckey's replacement as the wide receivers coach, uh, and the latest intel in the transfer portal because the Irish appear to be in great shape with some top targets. And to do all of that, I'm going to be joined by my old co-host, Luke Smith, right now. All right, Luke, let's start with a topic that everyone has been talking about over the past 48 hours. It seems like the entire college football world has been up in arms since Sunday. People from every corner of the country have strong opinions, and I'd say the vast majority of the mob is pretty upset with the final decision. Obviously, I'm talking about the fact that Notre Dame was snubbed from the Tier 1 ACC Bulls, and instead, they will take their talents to El Paso, Texas, to face off against the Oregon State Beavers in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl on December 29th. What was your reaction to the news? So maybe I'm in the minority, but I wasn't all that thrilled at the prospect of playing LSU in a non-marquee bowl game or non-playoff game. I just... I don't think there was a lot to be gained by that based on who would or wouldn't have played in that game. Um, but that said, the next time I'll be in El Paso, Texas, when my plane crashes. So this one doesn't exactly move the needle either. Weird game. Like I think that roster for Oregon State is going to be completely gutted. Even the guy that they just named as their head coach says he's not coaching in this game because he's got other things to focus on, which is the weirdest thing I've ever heard, even though he was on staff prior to this. Um, so wait, I don't what? Get, what did yeah. he say? Their DC was named the head coach. Right, and he right. He said he has more important things to focus on, so he's not coaching the game. They have an interim guy for the game. <laughs> they have an interim for the interim. Yes. Well, the interim is full time. They just promoted him full time. Okay. The DC. But yeah, I, I don't get that. There is some payback for Oregon State that's that's owed though. Too. Right. I mean, two really ugly bowl games. So at least you get that chance. Um, that Fiesta Bowl game is actually one of my first Notre Dame memories. So I guess you have that opportunity. Other than that, like how they ended up in El Paso is kind of beyond me. And and I think that maybe the key takeaway from all of this is that bull prognosticators have no idea what they're talking about. Um, what was your memory of that 2000 Fiesta Bowl? Any positive ones for that? No, uh, actually it was my dad calling ABC, telling them they needed to stop showing TJ Hushmanzada on the television <laughs> showboating on the sideline. So yeah, that's my memory. Yeah, I had a feeling it wasn't a super positive one because that wasn't a super positive game. And who could forget the 2004 Insight Bowl? This is a revenge game. The Kent that. Bayer game? Yeah. <laughs> I could tell you two people on either roster in that game. So, well, I guess Kent Bayer, he's the interim coach, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. I mean, well, I guess Quinn. Yeah, Brady Quinn, of course. Um, yeah, I was pretty disappointed to find out that it was Oregon State. I was excited about the potential matchup against LSU just for the intrigue leading up. Like it's gonna, it would have been a lot more fun to talk about that game. And I'm with you. Like Jaden Daniels probably wouldn't have played. 
don't think Malik Neighbors is going to play in whatever bowl they're in. So from that aspect, yeah, it wasn't going to be LSU at full strength, but I still think a win against a, a top-tier SEC team gets uh, gets the juices going a little bit because now this game just does nothing for me in the sense of like Notre Dame could get 10 wins this season and it might be the lamest 10-win season of all time. Whereas like if Notre Dame had secured that 10th win against a team like LSU, I feel like that mattered a little bit more. And obviously all the Brian Kelly stuff would have been, you know, fun stuff to talk about in the lead up. It would have been kind of funny to see Brian Kelly at the press conference after. But I just think that that 10th win would have meant something. Whereas now it almost feels like not only they, they absolutely have to win this game. It doesn't matter who opts out for Notre Dame. And I know there's some talk about maybe Sam Hartman not playing. I think he is going to play. But now it almost feels like a lose-lose. Like if you lose, things are really bad. And even if you win, it's just like, oh, well, whatever. You know what I mean? Totally. It, it's a scrimmage is what it seems like. Um, I, I will be very intrigued to see what the turnout is in El Paso. I, I know that. It's sold out. Seriously. <laughs> It sold out in like a day. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I guess El Paso is. I was actually take that back. I was gonna say El Paso is beautiful that time of year, but the last time Notre Dame played in the Sun Bowl back in 2010, it was like freezing cold temperature. There was snow on the ground in South Texas. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. I guess there's a, a decent portion of the fan base who wants to spend their New Year's in El Paso, Texas. Yeah, I know El Paso is a very Catholic city, but geez, uh, you're pretty much in Mexico at that point. I Just count me out on that. I, I don't understand why there's even a bowl game there. I think it's just history. It's the fact that it's the second oldest bowl game outside of the Rose Bowl. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm actually um, I'm going to be traveling this day, so I don't even know if I'm going to watch this game, to be honest, which is really weird, but I'm not sure that I'm going to be missing a whole heck of a lot. This is going to be a weird one, and maybe... If you're on a plane, I don't know if they're going to have this game on the flight. Yeah, Hopefully I don't won't. think they're going to have CBS. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to have this one. But um, as for potential opt-outs for Notre Dame, right now my guess would be Audrick Esme is not going to play. Same with Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. Joe Alt, I get. Blake Fisher, I don't get at all. But it seems like those three, potentially Maris Leofau, he might not play. Doesn't Kim make a Hart ton of sense either. Play. Yeah, I don't know why Maris Lee, if I would sit this out. I know he accepted his senior bowl invite. I don't really know why he would think that, like, sitting out this bowl game. Unless maybe he's just worried about the leg injury from a couple years ago. I'm not really sure. But Notre Dame is going to be missing some guys. Oregon State is going to be without their head coach, Jonathan Smith, who just took the job at Michigan State. TJ Uyunglele is in the transfer portal. Their backup quarterback is also headed to Michigan State with Jonathan Smith, and their starting running back just got arrested for DUI. So not necessarily an opt-out, at least from a personal standpoint. That's more of a legal opt-out. Um, so, yeah, yeah. it's going to be Speaking two- of which, did you see his tweet? <laughs> the, it is i'm the, fine i was fine it's not the best thing to post after a dui yeah it's made a mistake i am fine i was fine i'll be fine buddy you were hammered i mean <laughs> I, I, interesting that that's read like a meme to me but good luck damian martinez you'll need it yeah it sounds like he's not gonna play i'm sure by the time this game comes around there's gonna be more guys um who end up opting out of this bowl game and by the time you're listening to this maybe you'll find out uh, or maybe you'll know who on Notre Dame's roster is uh, going to play in this game or might not. But going back to what I started this off with, 
talking about a thing that everyone's been talking about lately. Let's uh, let's do a little talk about the CFP committee's decision on Sunday to include Alabama in their Final Four over Florida State. Uh, there's a bunch of different reactions out there. What was yours? My reaction is they failed in what they should have done. Ultimately, what was shown, and I want to say this was shown, not proven, because we've known this forever. Games don't matter. Um, the subjectivity and goalpost moving of the eye test, if you will, is quite comical. This is an Alabama team that needed a fourth and 31 prayer to beat Auburn, who had just lost by 30 points to remind me again who they lost to by 30 Mexico points. State. To, yes, thank you. Um, Florida State belonged in the playoff with a 13 and 0 record and two wins over SEC opponents. The fact that them not having their quarterback was cited as evidence for being left out is just preposterous to me. I, I can't imagine how I would have reacted if Notre Dame didn't make the playoff because Kenny Minchie had to start in a playoff game. At the same time, can't act like this is a surprise because this is what they, and what I say but by they, I mean the powers to be, this is what they've always done. The sports never had a defined set of rules and games have never mattered. See Notre Dame, Florida state, 1993. So I can't exactly feel bad for Florida state. Um, they kind of had this coming. They're not exactly the most endearing fan base. So like, you know, it's, it is what it is, but I will say, I'm not really sure they would have been at that big of a disadvantage against Michigan, considering how dominant their defense was against Louisville and really all season. And when you look at how putrid Michigan's offense was against Iowa, they only had 12 first downs. That Michigan offense is not all it's cracked up to be. I think that would have been actually a pretty tight game, a low scoring game and probably an ugly game. But I guess we'll have to settle for Michigan getting embarrassed as the one seed by Alabama instead. The way I look at it, two things can be true. I acknowledge the fact that Florida State got a raw deal and they absolutely deserve to be in the playoff after finishing the season undefeated with the win in the ACC championship game. I am also very happy that they put in Alabama over Florida State because I don't really have any sympathy for Florida State or their mm -hmm. fans or the people in the media who represent Florida State. Like, if the committee, if Boo, if Boo Corrigan had gone on television on Sunday and said, Danny Cannell is annoying, and therefore Florida State's not getting in, I would have been like, that's fine. That's fine yep. by me. Um, but I think Alabama is a better team. But then again, I thought Oregon, you know, they were probably a better team than Washington, and then, you know, they lost. Like, they're favored. So I don't think that that argument really holds up. We're like, oh, well, Alabama would be favored over Florida State in a game. Like, you can't just base everything off that. Uh, again, I think Alabama's a better team, and I think that they have a much better shot of beating Michigan. I disagree with the, the notion that uh, it would have been a tight game. I just think that Louisville is very bad, and the fact that Notre Dame got crushed by them in the way that they did is going to be something that, frankly, we're going to be talking about. Like, what the hell happened there that night for a long time? It's kind of reminiscent of Michigan in 2019. Uh, but look, it sucks now. If I were Michigan or if I were a Florida State fan, I would be absolutely livid. But I do think that on January first, after all the games are played, I think that we're going to be talking about it as like one of, if not the best, semifinal day in the history of college football. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I'm conflicted about the whole thing. But selfishly, um, I'm glad they did what they did.
Yeah, sidebar, sidebar. It's also kind of stupid that they have these semifinal games on New Year's Day at nighttime going into a work day. I don't really know what we were thinking there. Um, they could have plotted. Usually when New Year's Day falls on a Sunday, they have the game on like the Saturday or the like that. That I don't know what they're doing here. Yeah, like I don't feel bad for Florida State at all. They, they've they had this coming for 30 plus years. So, you know, it is what it is. But um <clears throat> I just don't know how you can tell a team that going 13 and 0 gets you nowhere. Um, that's pretty ridiculous. Bama didn't take care of business. They shouldn't be in the playoff. I think the point about Jordan, Tra- Jordan Travis's injury being the reason that they aren't getting in the playoff, I think they just needed a cop out. So they really rolled with that because that's explicitly stated in the criteria. To be honest with you, after the games are played on Saturday, going into Sunday, I was thinking, like, how is the committee going to do this? How are they going to justify putting Alabama in over Florida State? I thought they would try to use some on-field evidence and basically go off the fact that Louisville had just lost to Kentucky, a 7-5 and SEC team the week prior. That Louisville team uh, really challenged Florida State in the ACC championship game, and they could look at the common opponents and point out that Alabama went into Lexington and absolutely crushed Kentucky, but they didn't do that. They didn't talk about any of that. They just went with the fact that Jordan Travis was hurt, which is a lot harder to wrap your head around. You know what I mean? And I, for the record, uh, Boo Corrigan, I, I know he's been under fire a lot lately. He is just the mouthpiece for a room full of people who made this decision. Boo got an absolutely raw deal as well this year, being the guy who has to go out there because they rotate who the head of the committee is, and he just so happened to be the guy in the worst possible year to have to do it because it's the first time they've had to make a really difficult decision. So I was surprised by the committee's reasoning, not surprised by the decision, but again, I'm happy they picked Alabama because I felt like if FSU got in, then Michigan was effectively in the national championship, and I think that when Alabama and Michigan play each other, Alabama's going to win. The one thing I will say is that if there's one team that didn't deserve another break or lucky break, it was Alabama. <laughs> like <laughs> that's, that's true. You, you don't need that. Um, but whatever, it's it's no skin off my nose. But uh, I'll leave it at that. We'll be right back with Luke to talk about some news on the Notre Dame coaching front. But first, I wanted to tell you about Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With great deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all of the fun you're going to have. If you plan on attending the Sun Bowl, Game Time is the perfect place to get your tickets. It is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason, and you get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive, and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Literally just two taps and you're set, and the tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code Locked On College for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, let's get back to Notre Dame. Looks like 
They're going to have, or it looks like they have hired or are expected to hire a new wide receivers coach because we know how the hiring process goes at Notre Dame whenever they're trying to hire anyone uh, or any assistant. It's not necessarily the fastest thing in the world, but Notre Dame did move quickly uh, in finding a replacement for Chancey Stuckey. I don't think you and I have talked since Chancey Stuckey. Uh, well, we have talked, not not online, I should say, not with the red light on. Um, but Chancey Stuckey was fired, and now it looks like Notre Dame is going to hire Wisconsin associate head coach and wide receivers coach Mike Brown. Um, it sounds like he's the guy. I don't know when we're going to get an official announcement from Notre Dame here in the coming days. But um, I feel good about this hire. I feel like as soon as Chancey Stuckey was let go – his name was one of the first to come up, and ultimately it looks like he's going to be the guy. So how do you feel about it? I don't have much of an opinion on it. Um, I, I just kind of feel like position coach hires are pretty impossible to gauge until you've actually seen somebody coach, recruit, and develop at at the school. It's kind of wait and see mode for me. I don't have any – it's not like they just hired some high school guy or, you know, whatever. So, But I, I just – I don't have very strong feelings on it. My – my concern is having the ability to continue to bring talent in at the level that Notre Dame was while also, you know, improving on the development front. So I don't, I don't have a ton of opinions on this. Um, it's kind of hard to judge a lot of these Luke fickle tree guys. I feel like, I, I don't know. It's just like, I don't have an opinion on it, I guess. It sounds like the way Wisconsin and Cincinnati people have talked about Mike Brown, he's a better developer of talent than he is recruiter. Now, part of that might be the circumstances. He was trying to recruit at Cincinnati, and he did develop some guys in the NFL. I think he's developed three NFL draft picks, including a second rounder, and Alec Pierce, the same guy who absolutely destroyed Notre Dame when they played um, back in 2021. But there's been a lot of talk about the connections, the famili familiarity with Marcus Freeman. They worked two years together at Cincinnati when they were uh, both coaching under Luke Fickle. And Brown has really skyrocketed up the ranks in the coaching industry. He got his start uh, at Michigan in 2016 as a GA. And by 2019, he was the wide receivers coach at Cincinnati. So he moved up that ladder quickly. And then uh, in 2022, he was promoted to be the passing game coordinator. Uh, and then he followed Fickle to Wisconsin, and now he's an associate head coach. Like, you don't get that kind of title, an associate head coach title, unless you're really well-respected and trusted by a guy like Luke Fickle. So to me, I think that says something. And I think the fans who are upset about this, like, what did you expect? And if you're going to, if your response to that is Brian Hartline or Jamarcus Shepard, I've got news for you. Neither of those guys is leaving their current post. Why should they? Brian Hartline has a great situation at his alma mater, by the way, Ohio State. And sure, he might be buddies with Freeman, but apparently that's a bad thing in this industry right now. So that doesn't make any sense. Brian Hartline is recruiting the top wide receivers every single year to Ohio State. He's got a great thing going there. So he was never going to leave Ohio State. He's also the offensive coordinator. So again, that was never an option, but that's who fan, fans wanted. And then there was Jamarcus Shepard, who is actively coaching on a playoff team. He makes well more than Chancey Stuckey ever made. He's an associate head coach, passing game coordinator, all of that. And he's got a great setup at Washington. So if Notre Dame was going to hire him, they'd have to most likely wait until after the playoff. And by that point, the transfer portal window is not closed, but it's close to closing. And Notre Dame, I don't know if you've heard, they got to rebuild that wide receiver room and they have to do it in a hurry. So those two candidates at the, at the time when... Sucky was fired. Washington was not in the playoff yet. So I was like, okay, maybe 
if they get bounced by Oregon, Shepard might come to Notre Dame. They won that game, and any chance that Notre Dame had of hiring him went out the door, and they went out. They went and got the next best next best option. Right. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, um, I I never thought Brian Hartline was an option. I don't know why anybody ever would have thought that was. It just doesn't make any sense for the life of me. But message boards exist for a reason. You mentioned the rebuilding that that room needs to do with the exodus it has experienced. Should we talk about that next? We have. Uh, we definitely should. We talked a little bit about Chris Tyree last week. Yeah. Um, saw that coming. It looks like he is trending towards going back home, basically, uh, and playing for UVA. Um, we talked about Braylon James and Tobias Merriweather. Uh, since then, Rico Flores entered his name in the transfer portal. That one took a lot of people by surprise, but the information or misinformation campaign that seemed to follow after the Chucky or after the Chancey Stucky firing. And then after all these guys entered the names of the portal, it was a lot. So I don't know if you want to engage in that necessarily, but how do you feel about the four of them collectively leaving that room? Yeah. So we, we did talk about Tyree last week and I, I get it. Obviously I was disappointed, but I understand why he would want to go closer to home and be more of the main cog in the offense. Sounds like UVA might happen. There, um, Braylon James, he didn't understand the playbook at all, so I'm not sure that's a huge loss. Uh, Tobias Merriweather, the guy was given every opportunity, couldn't do anything with it. Maybe a change of scenery helps, but it's hard to feel bad for him. Um, one thing I will say is just if you are a parent of a collegiate athlete, I would recommend you are not online. Um, and I'll leave it at that, but just some of the stuff that I saw last week from people who have entered the transfer portal his parents were just laughable, frankly. And um, I'll leave it at that. But Rico Flores, it's obviously very disappointing. I'm not going to call it like a catastrophic loss. Like some have, he's a very good player, but I think that there was still a lot of development for him to come along the way. He was forced into action this year because of the state of Notre Dame's receiver room was what it was. Um, from what we've heard, it sounds like kind of some, questionable guidance in his ear on what is the best route for him personally. Um, and that's unfortunate. We heard how much he liked Notre Dame. I don't know how it's kind of hard to say that that's accurate. If you just leave like that after a year um, and whatever people tell me that I, I just don't really buy it, but he'll be, he'll be missed. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he lands and how he does. But I, I think that that may have been another situation that was simply out of Notre Dame's control. Yeah, it was uh, really unfortunate to lose Rico. And I want to be clear, I think a lot of people assumed that Rico leaving was a direct result of Chancey Stuckey being let go. I think there's been enough reporting out there by now to suggest that Rico was actually looking around before Stuckey was fired. Now, I'm not going to say that that decision didn't play a part in it at all. I think that Rico was definitely looking around and then Stuckey's firing was like the last straw and at that point, there was no turning back. He was definitely looking to leave. But um, based on what I've heard and what's been reported, it sounds like Rico Flores wants to go to a place where he can be the best wide receiver in the country. He did not think he could do that in Notre Dame's offense, playing for a run first team and things like that. And it's disappointing because I think he had ample opportunity to see, succeed at Notre Dame. You never see a true freshman wide receiver at Notre Dame get the kind of um, – snaps and receptions that he did. So I thought he had a really bright future here. I loved watching him play because uh, I thought he just gave so much effort on the field. He he didn't have like one physical trait that sort of 
you know, made him an elite wide receiver, but I just loved his mentality. I love the effort that he showed. How you pointed out after the Ohio State game, like when he runs in motion, he runs so damn hard. So he was an easy player to root for. Thought he had a really great future at Notre Dame. He decides to look elsewhere, and that's unfortunate. But that to me was the only like big loss in the room because look, I know Braylon James, people got really excited about him in spring practice, but I think it's pretty telling. When a five foot ten walk on lacrosse player who is also a true freshman gets significantly more playing time than Braylon James. And like if he has all that raw talent, there would have been a spot for him on the field, but there never was. He rode the bench all season and Notre Dame had better options ahead of him. So that's not to say that he can't figure it out eventually, but I think that the learning curve was much steeper than anyone thought in Tobias Merriweather. Look, he had every opportunity to succeed at Notre Dame, and he didn't. I don't know why we would think that next year, all of a sudden, the light was going to turn on for him, and he'd end up having a great season. Maybe that happens with a fresh start else, somewhere else, but like, I, I think that losing Chris Irie was a bummer. Losing Rico is a big loss. The other two guys, Notre Dame can easily find uh, someone who's as good, if not better, in the transfer portal. Yeah, and I think they will, so... Um... See ya. <laughs> so last week, it felt really bad for Notre Dame because it felt like the door was open and everyone was exiting, right? It was a bunch of guys leaving. Uh, we didn't even talk about Holden Stays entering the transfer portal. That's another guy who got significant playing time last year who entered the name of the portal. So everyone's like, oh my God, the sky is falling. Notre Dame is losing all these guys. Is the culture broken? What's wrong with Notre Dame? Well, as it turns out, it happens to every team in the country, and we're starting to see that today. I think Ohio State, for example, has 12 players in the transfer portal, including Julian Fleming, one of their better wide receivers, and their starting quarterback, Kyle McCord. So it's happening everywhere around the country. Now we are actually starting to get some good news about some guys choosing to play at Notre Dame instead of electing to leave. And Riley Leonard, the former Duke quarterback, is very likely to end up at Notre Dame. And Luke, we have to go back to what you said the last time on this podcast when I said, which quarterback do you want? What was your response? I think I said hopefully not, or maybe not even hopefully. I just said not Riley Leonard, and I'm still not, not thrilled Riley about Leonard. it. Um, I guess he can run. I also don't want to jinx this because there's been a lot of things lately that have seemed to be a done deal that haven't been. So I'm going to wait to make a full comment on this until it is a done deal. But, yeah, I'm not thrilled about it. I wasn't surprised when I heard it. I guess my only surprise was how everyone in the college football media space seemed to know that Notre Dame was the most likely destination. Yeah. He put his name in the portal, 10 crystal balls, had him going to Notre Dame. Pete Thamel, Nicole, Nicole Auerbach, Pete Sampson, everyone was like, Notre Dame's in a good spot. It's like, oh, okay, well, this is basically a done deal. Now that some time has passed and some other quarterbacks have entered the transfer portal, I don't know where... Riley Leonard ranks among the top quarterbacks in the in the portal. So let's go through a few of those names right now. Dylan Gabriel was a bit of a surprise. Uh, the Oklahoma quarterback, he entered his name in the portal. Will Howard, the Kansas State quarterback, we've talked about him a bunch. DJ Uyunglele, uh, Cam Ward, the quarterback from Washington State. Kyle McCord entered his name on Monday. Dante Moore, you might have heard of him. Um, so those are just a few guys. Where do you think Riley Leonard ranks among some of the other quarterbacks in the transfer portal right now? I feel like a lot of these guys, besides Gabriel and ah, maybe Howard, I guess you could make the argument for DJU. They're none of them are all that proven. Like, and that sounds weird because Kyle McCord just led an eleven and one team, but 
Like they're all guys that have shown maybe some flashes, but I don't know that one of them are like, okay, yes, this team, this guy is automatically going to make us a playoff contender. Um, I'm not sure that there's a guy on that list that exists like that. No, which is why I kind of look at the Riley Leonard situation. Like it's not being advertised as the savior. It's not like Sam Hartman when he announced his intention to transfer. It didn't immediately raise the ceiling on Notre Dame season. I just think that Notre Dame felt they needed to get a more experienced starter in the room. They looked at the options out there. Riley Leonard is probably the best fit from like a player personality standpoint going from Duke to Notre Dame. Um, I think Dylan Gabriel is definitely the best quarterback available, but I think his his decision is already made. I think he's going directly to Mississippi State to play under Jeff Levy, uh, the new head coach there who's the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. But I could basically make the case for and against every single quarterback in the transfer portal right now. So even though Riley Leonard isn't a home run transfer, there really aren't that many where you look at a guy and you're like, Oh, that guy is going to come into this or come out of this team and immediately elevate the entire program. So, this is sort of the nature uh, of this cycle. I would say it's probably not the best compared to some others we've had in recent years. So, I think Riley Leonard is a solid option, but I don't think it'd be crazy to think that one of these Notre Dame quarterbacks who are currently in the room uh, could put up one hell of a competition against him. Exactly, and and that'll be interesting to see, assuming that this does happen, of course. Um, by the way, as we're doing this, Antonio Carter just announced with a, a nice little edit and a love the that he's entering the uh, the transfer portal. I'm sure that that was super necessary, considering he was in South Bend for like five months. But um, <laughs> like, okay, buddy, I, he literally did a semester abroad in South Bend. These transfer these transfer edits have got to stop. That should not be a thing. I'm Who do sorry, you think it is just ma- shouldn't. Do you think it's just one person making them? It's the same template, so I would assume it is. And like I said, you were there for five. I don't really, by the way, I, I kind of hate the saying "love thee," even though it's part of the alma mater. Like it just it sounds it sounds awkward to me. But I especially hate it when some guy that was there for freaking four months says it. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, it's he was uh, he was definitely gonna enter buried. the portal. Yeah, the he was chart. pretty buried on the depth chart. I was surprised personally. I thought he had done enough. Uh, at Rhode Island to potentially make an impact on Notre Dame. I mean, the talk in the offseason was just how thin uh, the safety position was. Now, granted, we didn't know that Xavier Watts was going to become Xavier Watts. And DJ Brown, for all his faults, you know, he'd been around for six years, I guess. And uh, Ramon Henderson really didn't do anything to uh, take snaps away from him. And now he's in the transfer portal as well. So Notre Dame definitely needs to add some guys in the transfer portal and Honestly, just before we started recording this on Monday night, they added their first transfer uh, in Arizona State cornerback Jordan Clark. He's the son of Pittsburgh Steeler great Ryan Clark. I think that um, as time goes by this week, Notre Dame is going to get some more good news, specifically from uh, former FIU wide receiver Chris Mitchell. Notre Dame is also uh, targeting Clemson wide receiver Bo Collins and Washington State wide receiver Josh Kelly. Both of them, both those wide receivers are expected to visit here Uh, in the coming days. Chris Mitchell actually visited South Bend this weekend. So last week was rough. A lot of guys on the way out. This week, it sounds like we're getting some good news. Uh, Which one of these guys really stands out to you? And we can include Jordan Clark in that conversation as well. So I I think it's the receivers that all stand out a little bit. And I'll kind of get into each of these guys. You mentioned Clark at safety. He's got good genes. And this is the strategy I've been calling for for years. Just get kids and pro athletes. It seems to work at Notre Dame. Hey, it's starting Ivan Taylor. 
Yeah, exactly. The class his of 2025 stats, prospect. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. His stats at Arizona State do kind of leave a lot to be desired, and I'll let you get into that later, but whatever. It's it's an ad at a position where they're going to need somebody. Um, Chris Mitchell was very productive at a lower level. There's some deep ball potential there. It could bring some speed to the table. And then it's the other two guys that are really intriguing to me. Bo Collins, he was very highly touted coming out of high school. He was a teammate of DG, DJ Uyunglele. Struggled with some drops this year, but like that's a guy I would take in the receiving core, no questions asked. And then Josh Kelly at Washington State, he had a huge year. Uh, 61 catches, 923 yards, and eight touchdowns. Like plug and play right away. If if they can hit on him, that would be that would be massive. So interested to see how that flows or, or translates, but definitely some intriguing targets out there. Yeah, I want to start with Jordan Clark because he's the one we know for sure at this point in time is coming to Notre Dame. And I've seen a lot of people talk about Jordan Clark in comparison with Thomas Harper. Now, I'll admit it's hard to think back to when Thomas Harper committed because there were some questions about him because he was dealing with, uh, I think, like his third or fourth shoulder surgery, right? So. He had put up some good numbers, but there were some serious concerns about whether or not he could stay healthy. Then he proved this year that he could. He only missed the one game, and that was actually with a concussion. That had nothing to do with the shoulder. And then Thomas Harper had a really, really good year as the starting nickel for Notre Dame. Clark uh, is similar in size. They're both 5'10", about 190 pounds. They're both older. <clears throat> I think that's also plays a part at like when you have a nickel, you want a guy who's a little bit more experienced who can basically, uh, basically act as a outside linebacker in some running situations. But you you mentioned his stats. He actually played better uh, statistically in 2022 compared to 2023. Uh, in 2022, he had 47 tackles, two picks, including a touchdown, six pass breaks up, pit, whoa, six pass breakups, excuse me. Uh, and he only gave up 31 receptions on 55 targets, 336 yards, and two touchdowns. Like, that's pretty good. Then you look at this season, and he did have more tackles. He had 50 total, 30 solo, and he did have nine pass breakups. The problem is it seemed like opposing offenses really liked throwing his way. So many times, or so much so that they threw 79 times uh, at his matchup. He allowed 49 receptions. He didn't have a single interception. So he allowed a 67% completion percentage for 519 receiving yards and four touchdowns in 2023. Now, it wasn't just him. The entire Arizona State defense was really, really bad this year. So he was probably put in some situations that weren't ideal. But I I don't agree with the comparison with Thomas Harper because even though he was hurt the year before, his stats were much better than that. Um, he only allowed 236 yards and 26 catches. So... I, I understand getting a veteran, more experienced guy to play nickel. I don't think the expectation for Clark should be as high as what Thomas Harper provided for Notre Dame this past season. Yeah, and I'm very curious to see what this does as far as Lu- Clarence Lewis is concerned. Does he stick around and try to see if he can compete for this job like he did with Thomas Harper this year? I don't know, but that'll be interesting to follow as well. I think Christian Gray, despite how young he is, is a much better fit at nickel. Mm. To be honest, I think... Uh, Gray should be starting at corner and not yeah. nickel over Jaden Mickey and uh, playing opposite of Benjamin Morrison next year. But if they decide to roll with Mickey out there, Christian Gray is too good to keep off the field. And he might be too good to take out for the bowl game because if Cam Hart doesn't play and Mickey ends up replacing him because he's technically listed as number two on the jump chart, 
I'm a little worried that Christian Gray might look at that situation and be like, oh, now I got to play against Mickey and Morrison for another year, and they have this nickel. Maybe he looks elsewhere in the transfer portal. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I just think that Christian Gray is too talented. You need to get him on the field, and even if it's at nickel, he might make some mistakes, but I just think he's he's too talented to keep on the sideline. I think that's their concern with Mickey, that is if they started Gray over him, he would hit the portal. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't want a guy to leave, but like, yeah. If we're being honest with ourselves, we're talking about the future of the quarterback position. Who would you rather have? Yeah, I right. would take. J- or I would take right. Christian Gray. Right. It's yeah. I, I agree, but I'm just saying. I think that's what the right. thought is. And this is one of those decisions that coaches have to make. Like when you play a guy, even if it's in a bowl game, and even though other players are opting out what you choose to do in those situations, the way you rotate these guys on the field, like it might have long lasting implications, but that was Jordan Clark. Let's talk about the receivers a little bit. So Chris Mitchell right now, uh, I think Notre Dame has the best chance of landing him compared to the other receivers. Now that doesn't mean that the other receivers won't come to Notre Dame, but it just seems like Chris Mitchell's visit over the weekend uh, went really well. He had 64 catches, uh, 1,118 yards last year and seven touchdowns, but he was playing for FIU. If you were to rank these receivers in terms of who you want the most, uh, how would you prioritize them? I thought you were about to ask me to rank the least likely school to transfer into Notre Dame from, and FIU would have been high up there on the list. Arizona State might have been two, and yeah. they just added one. Um, you know, I think I would say it's tough. I think I would say Kelly won. Yeah, because Kelly's a true wide receiver one. Yeah. I think I will have Mitchell slightly above Collins because he has some deep ball potential there um, and just more production. But I think Collins, I mean, he definitely has played at a much higher level. Like he was much more highly touted. So I will give Mitchell the slight edge over him. But like, I really, won't, I, I think Bo Collins might be a guy who could really prosper from a change of scenery. The Josh Kelly stuff happened rather quickly. Like. Uh, his name had not come up, at least, you know, on any reports that I had seen. And then Monday evening, he's coming to Notre Dame on Tuesday. So whenever whenever a transfer target takes a visit to Notre Dame, that's usually a really good sign. They land them more often than they don't. So the fact that he's even making his way to campus is important. Uh, this would not be his first transfer. He transferred from Fresno State. But he was Cam Ward's favorite target at Washington State. Racked up 61 catches, 923 yards, and eight touchdowns. Like, Mitchell has better stats, but he's doing it at FIU. Josh Kelly was a a wide receiver number one at a Power 5 school. He also had 378 yards after the catch, so he's really uh, a dynamic ball carrier as well. And he only had three drops on 92 targets. So I think he is the best wide receiver option out of any of them, especially considering Notre Dame's needs on the outside. Like, adding Bo Collins would be great. But Notre Dame also has Jaden Greathouse uh, and Jordan Faison. And they also have Jaden Thomas, who uh, was actually supposed to play more in the slot this past season. They moved him outside. I don't know if that was the best decision for him. But I think they're pretty good at the slot. So I think they need a guy like Josh Kelly. Like, if they add Kelly, if they add all three of these guys, and you look at the four who left, I still think it's a significant upgrade for the wide receiver room. It easily is. It's not even close. You have a guy that never played as a freshman, um, a bum as a sophomore. I shouldn't say that, but, you know, a guy that really didn't do a whole lot as a sophomore, a converted running back, and, yeah, a guy that played as a freshman. It's easily, easily an upgrade. 
But now that Jordan Clark is headed to Notre Dame, the question everyone's wondering, are Brady Quinn and Ryan Clark, Jordan Clark's dad, going to squash the beef? Because they have had uh, a feud now that's lasted, what, since the draft of last year? Yeah, interesting. But there's also some other weird Ryan Clark connections to Notre Dame. Obviously, he did the pivot uh, podcast at Notre Dame, and I think he mentioned on that that uh, Benjamin Morrison's dad was his team pastor at one point in time. Uh, and so I wonder if Ben Morrison and, and Jordan Clark grew up at all together. I feel like that's they probably did. a possibility. Okay, there you go. I didn't even know that. Um, so, yeah, that's – I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I don't see Brady just uh, giving up a beef that easily. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he will either. But it is pretty funny because Brady does vouch the the players on Notre Dame a lot. I know he does a lot of great work for them um, and in the community. So I do think it's hilarious that Ryan Clark might run into Brady um, at a Notre Dame football game this year. And if you're not familiar with their beef, it really it really started because Brady went on a podcast and said that people had some concerns about CJ Stroud because he apparently just bailed on the Manning camp. And then it was one of those deals where the aggregators got a hold of the clip, Dove Kleiman, maybe the, the worst of all time, the woe, if you will, when it comes to Twitter accounts, he posted it. It led to a fight between uh, Brady and Ryan Clark. And then it continued this fall when Brady and Quincy Avery got into another little spat online. Again, this is all internet beef. It doesn't really matter in the end, but uh, yeah, they've had a weird feud going on for a while and maybe uh, this will be the end of it. Yeah, I guess, I guess time will tell, but uh, they'll certainly get the opportunity to do that. Before Luke and I continue with our discussion about the transfer portal, I wanted to tell you about some really exciting stuff we've got going on here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. Lockdown has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Lockdown Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Lockdown, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Lockdown Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Today's episode is also brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. They have the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I used LinkedIn Jobs a couple years ago, and they made it easy to contact their hiring manager, learn more about a role, and eventually I got the job. We all know hiring people can be time-consuming, but adding the right team member can be invaluable to your business, and LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier than ever. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates, and so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. They even launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post a job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. There is also another potential transfer to Notre Dame that we have not talked about who might not play football. And I'm talking about Tyler Buckner, the former Notre Dame starting quarterback who Transferred to Alabama last spring, who started one game for Alabama against South Florida, played perhaps maybe the worst game of quarterback we've ever seen by any player of all time. And it sounds like Tyler Buckner 
is hanging up the football cleats for a lacrosse stick because he is actually in the lacrosse transfer portal. And based on several reports out there, Buckner is actually going to come back to Notre Dame and be a member of the Notre Dame men's lacrosse team. What did you think about that? I'm shocked that that's feasible with just credits and everything. But, hey, good for him. Um, Are we sure that Riley Leonard's better than him? I'm not. So, uh it's hard to forget about that. USF. But we will look back on the fact that Marcus Freeman went into his first game of regular season at Ohio State, starting a guy that would go on to play college lacrosse. <laughs> and then that guy's backup would then play the remaining games on the yeah. regular season schedule. But uh, in all seriousness, I am happy for Buckner because it does sound like he immediately regretted his decision to to transfer out of Notre Dame. Um, I also, even when he did make the move, even though a lot of people were like, why would he ever do that? I was like, look, man, if Alabama is calling you and you have a real shot at playing, even if it doesn't work out, I think you have to take it. And, you know, you and I have talked about, we've been to Bama before. I wouldn't mind just doing a year abroad at Alabama, hanging out at Rounders, hanging out at Innisfree on the weekends, being a part of the football team, potentially even getting a national championship ring because I, I saw Matt Freeman from Irish Sports Daily uh, tweet that Buckner is going to be on the team the remainder of the season. So he might get a national championship ring, a year hanging out at Alabama, and then he gets to go back to Notre Dame, get his degree, and maybe he gets another national championship ring playing for Notre Dame men's lacrosse as they try to defend their title from last season. It is one of the most insane collegiate careers of any individual ever. It's weird. Yeah. There, there's just no other <laughs> no other way about around it. It's weird. Um, all right. Last last bit of news we have here. This has been kind of a long show, but Notre Dame has a new university president to replace Father John Jenkins, uh, Reverend Robert A. Dowd. What do you know about him? Not a whole lot. I had a few friends who had him in an African politics class. Sounds like he's pretty unassuming, humble. They liked him. Um got an interesting academic background. He spent some time in East Africa, but I don't know much else about him. So we'll see. Uh, I think he actually officially takes office, so to speak, July 1. So still some time there. But yeah, it's uh, it's a new regime. That's for sure. After almost two decades. Yeah. Dowd and Pete Bavacqua, uh, the two guys now running the show. Do you think that Dowd actually wants the job, unlike his predecessor? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um yeah, I don't know enough about him to, to answer that. He, Based on the quick video I saw today, he did not seem to be the most, um, at what's the word I'm looking for, imposing figure in the room, so maybe not, but I don't know. <laughs> what would you do uh, in your first day as university president? Like, What's at the top of your priority list? I'd fix the parking, um, and I'd probably, oof, what would I do? I'd probably... Yeah, I guess fix the parking, and I'd probably have the new architecture building condemned. I just think it's really <laughs> ugly. Um, it doesn't match. Do it doesn't match the architecture of the rest of the campus. So that's probably top of top of the list for me. How ironic is it that Notre Dame's architecture building is quite literally the ugliest building yeah. on campus? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Those guys are weirdos. <laughs> and they took up a lot of student parking, which was they did already for that minimum. And so, like prime stadium lot tailgating space. So I think we just knock out two birds with one stone there. But yeah, yeah, 
I think we knock that down, start over. Um, a lot of people would say invest some money into renovating the Gook. I would say I agree. I think that's a smart move. Uh, I think throwing AC in some dorms wouldn't Yeah, hurt. that too. Um, I, I don't understand the people who are like, no, like Dylan and Morrissey kids like you and I must suffer through because I suffered through. Like, I don't care at all. That was miserable, dude, living in those rooms yeah. without AC. And what was it? Like all the way up through September, it'd be Brutal. You know, 80 degrees outside and then 180 in the dorm and then maybe even a little bit more in the lofted bed. Like at what point during your time at Morrissey, at what point in the calendar year did it finally get comfortable living in your dorm? I feel like I would have the actually like the windows open in December and then I would get sick from that. Um, so because it was just <laughs> that, so hot all the time. <laughs> that might have been the mold on the ceiling of Morrissey too. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no there's no way of knowing for sure, but either way. Dude, when I when I moved into Dillon, my mom put her hand on like the door. I don't even know why she did it, but she she kind of rubbed the top. I think it was like it's like, is it dusty? And then she had some like black goo Ugh. on her finger. And there was definitely some mold in there. Like those dorms are so disgusting. So I think I would actually Throw them bone, maybe renovate them. Has Morrissey been renovated? We're getting a little it, off topic here. But I think now it, I think it was uh, either the year after I graduated. I think it was the year after I graduated. I have not been back inside since they didn't. I mean, like you said, they didn't put AC in with the renovations. So go figure. But yeah, <laughs> certainly a lot uh, for our new president to do. And uh, when did you say he'll take over? July one, I believe. July yeah. one. Yeah. All right, man. It's a new era. At Notre Dame, but it is the end of this podcast. We covered a lot in this episode. I think by the time uh, you come back on next week, there's going to be a lot more news to talk about and uh, hopefully some more good news because there was not nearly as much. Like if we were to do a counter between how much bad news and good news we received about the Notre Dame football program since the last time you came on, it was overwhelmingly negative. But next week, uh, I think it'll be a little bit better. Yeah, and then maybe some more negative with additions come more subtractions. We'll see, but uh, I don't know. So is the nature of college football. All right, we'll talk to you then. All right, later. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. That was a long episode, but we'll be right back at it tomorrow. Remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast and give us a follow on social media, wherever you do your social media. Uh, the X account is at Lockdown Irish. Instagram is at Lockdown Irish Pod. And my personal Twitter slash X account is at Tyler W O J C I A K. Same time, same place tomorrow, guys. See you then.